0: Hi, and welcome to a slate spoiler special of Transparent, the new comedy, or maybe drama, we'll parse, from Jill Soloway that just debuted in its entirety on Amazon Prime. Transparent tells the story of the Pfeffermans, an affluent Jewish family in Los Angeles going through a period of immense turmoil, only some of which is due to the family patriarch's revelation that he is in fact a she, a woman named Maura. I'm Willa Paskin, Slate's TV critic, and I'm joined by David Hagelin, a senior editor here and also the editor of our culture blog, Browbeat. Hi, David. Hi, Willa. And Miriam Krull, an assistant editor. Hi, Miriam. Hi. Um, so I thought we would start with your guys' general impressions of the show. Um, before we dive into what I think is maybe the most impressive and compelling aspect of the series, which is just how deep and immediately recognizable the characters are. Um, so, Miriam, what do you think?
1: Yeah, I was, um, I just read your review and I loved it maybe as much, if not more, than you did, uh, if that's possible. Uh, I found, like, everything from the characters to their Jewishness, which I'm a little bit obsessed with, to be super compelling. And I was just drawn into the story.
2: Yeah, I loved it too. My only uh, concern with my viewing experience is that I maybe watched it too fast because <laughs> I watched the first, you know, they made the pilot available, uh, what, a year ago, basically. I didn't catch up with it until just a couple of weeks ago, but I watched it, loved it, and then couldn't wait. And so, of course, watched the whole thing this weekend, and I feel like maybe I didn't savor it as much as I, I should have. You can have. always go back. I know. Maybe, I, maybe I'll do that.
1: <laughs> See, for me, the... The fact that it was only a half hour long made it the binging like a lot more doable and felt less like binging for some reason. Well, it just didn't get to that point where you're like, it's hour ten. Exactly. And what have
0: I done with my life? That was it right. It, it could only be hour five.
2: Well, and as <laughs> as you point out in your review, Willa, the the episodes often follow immediately upon each other. That you know, it it tells a, a story that takes place over a relatively brief amount of time. So it does have this kind of coherence as a single story that seems perhaps geared toward the streaming model. I mean, that may have been one of the many, many smart things they did with the show is, is write it with that in mind.
0: Yeah, I think also one of the other smart things they did is to have released that pilot eight months ago. It's like, this is a show with no sort of, I mean, Jill Soloway, we worked on Six Feet Under. She made Afternoon Delight. Some people know who she is, but it's not like a show with a huge cult, you know, footprint or um, a lot of huge famous people attached to it. And something about Amazon's strategy of sort of releasing them ahead of time means we were all – a lot of people knew that they <laughs> they were, in, like, looking forward to it. Um, so I did actually – just kind of going back to how condensed the story is, I sort of wanted to talk by talking about Sarah, who is the older sister. Um, and when the show begins, she's married. Um, there's sort of a shout-out to shortcuts, like her and her husband stand in their – Without she's wearing no pants you know, while brushing her teeth, and it's the least sexual thing in the whole world, sort of the sexless marriage with um, Len, who's played by Rob Hubble. They have two kids, and she's kind of um, you, know, frazzled in that way of housewives, and her, her siblings that one, one of her, her brother, Josh, is actually really mean to her it, at in the dinner at home where he's sort of like, "Yeah, how hard is your life? You have to like, go to yoga. just totally dismissive." And she begins an affair with her college girlfriend, um, that very quickly gets really intense and she gets divorced. I mean, she separates from her husband and she moves out. Um, And that's one of the places where the speed of the show is almost, like, jarring because they didn't show you so much of what was going on with Tammy, who's the woman that she um, ends up with, with Tammy's own life that you sort of think that it's not going to work out and then suddenly they're living together. Um, But yeah, so I just wanted to talk about Sarah.
2: Well, she's the one character, or rather I should say the one uh, family member Um, of the the, the three siblings who I I don't recall ever hating (laughs) and I don't say hate as I mean it's the it's the people I there were times when I hated the others as people not as characters I thought they were really well written but I I could not stand the brother uh, when the when the season began and I couldn't stand the other sister uh, Gabby Hoffman when it ended Uh, but but Sarah I, I you know found more or less sympathetic throughout. She, ha- she has many failings, as they all do, but I, I, she never quite seemed loathsome the way the others occasionally did.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to wrap my head around the loathsome, hateful phrasing, because she seemed like, in some ways, the most selfish of all the, si- of the siblings, um, yeah. because she like wasn't aware of how selfish she was being.
0: And also, she's the one who completely knifes her life yeah. in this unthinking, extreme fire fast, like so, so quickly. Um, And then also we see as the season goes on that she didn't. it's not even a great choice necessarily, right? Like she she left her husband for Tammy. Maybe she didn't mean to do that. Maybe she should have slowed down. You know, her and Tammy have this sort of fight on the street early on where she really wants Tammy to tell Bev. I think it's her partner's name. And it's this kind of freak out that's like, I think if this doesn't happen right now, that this isn't going to happen at all and that I'm in this alone. And it's, it's completely honest. It's obviously what she feels. But you sort of almost expect Tammy to just be like, you're not in this alone, but this is like day three. <laughs> like we had sex in the minivan. <laughs> like we have children. Let's just like chill out. And that just doesn't happen.
1: If it weren't for the um, the end of the first episode where kind of the Tammy-Sarah situation happens right before Sarah finds out about her dad, her dad who's going through this transition now, um, it would seem like she's kind of like reacting to everything that's happening. So it's... Like, which is, I have to keep on reminding myself that, like, that wasn't what was
0: happening. Well, I think that it is and it isn't. I mean, that's what I think the things the, sh- the show is so sort of graceful about is that these siblings and the parents obviously have so much going on in their lives individually. And it does start to blur with this revelation, uh, more as revelation, that he is a she, you know, that – um, and, and that there isn't – it isn't quite separable, you know? It's like if – Sarah hadn't found out um, about her father, maybe she wouldn't have been so eager to sort of like, you know, blow up her life in that way to sort of take to sort of like if she's following his lead, like he's being so brave. She's being so brave. She's made this huge change. She wants to be herself. and And Sarah sees that and is like, maybe I should also just be brave and want to be myself. You know, and if those things weren't happening simultaneously, maybe she would have been a little more timid.
2: Yeah, that's a good point. That the, the show is so careful to set these things in motion or establish these characteristics before they realize what their father's going through. Of course, in some ways, he's been going through it his whole life. But the show also doesn't indicate that that turmoil is what led to their own. I mean, it's it's all much more complicated. Than I
0: do, that. I do just want to interject here and say I think we apologize collectively if our pronouns are improper as we're talking. It's just because it's sort of hard to keep them straight as we're speaking.
2: Right, and also because we see uh, we see Mora before she becomes right. Mora, and so you're, you know when we're talking about the character, we have to talk about both. Right. really.
0: right. When she's more, she's. More to them still, and, to he, and yeah. it's still a heat, and,
2: and, and to you know, yeah. to herself at that point right. in, in her life.
0: Um, yeah. So also, I I found Josh to be. You said that you hated Josh at the beginning. I found Josh to be. I never quite hate him. I found him to be almost painfully realistic. Like. I, just somebody that, it's not even that I've met that person exactly, but everything about him, I was like, yes, like, just bang, bang, bang. And and there is something about a lot of the characters on the show where they all have these real moments where they just seem extremely excruciatingly real to me, I think in a way that most other TV shows don't kind of get to. But he, of all of them, just like, I was just really happy not to be a single lady in Los Angeles who encountered
1: him. <laughs> well, can we talk briefly about... Um, Well, you refer to him sort of as, like, the Nathaniel P. in your review. But for me, for some reason, his backstory was, like, the one thing that I, like, had such a difficult time not believing but, like, dealing with. So do we want to talk about the Yeah, I think we should. So um, it's revealed – I can't remember if it's, like, three or four episodes in maybe. But it is
0: also in the first episode. It's in the first
1: episode in a really – for me, it was a confusing really strict, confusing way. way. I was like, it, I wasn't sure if it was like a man or a woman he was seeing. I was very confused by how it's presented in the first episode. But a few episodes in, you find out that um, when he was 15 with his 25-year-old babysitter, he had this relationship that supposedly every single person knew about. Well, um, and Let's like, circle back to that. <laughs> oh, sorry. Okay, fine. So uh, it seems that his parents knew about and his siblings knew about. And it was like a very sexual relationship that, again, this is a spoiler special, so I can say resulted in a son that he didn't know about. And
0: but that's, like, almost the least of it because he's been, like, hanging over his life in every other... Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he still sees know, her. He yeah. still
1: he still has this relationship with her. And he kept all these notes and these photos of her. And it just... I don't know. For me, that was, like, too big of a deal and, like, too much of a thing that it wasn't, wasn't addressed properly maybe in the show. Well,
0: I think, you know, um, one of the things about the show is that it's clearly, like, in a certain way, very sex positive. A lot of people have these sexual relationships that i think sort of check off boxes for like alarm you know where you'd be like this seems like if we were just reading about this this seems bad but then we see sort of in all of its detail and it's much more complicated so of course this relationship with Rita, the babysitter is much more complicated because initially especially josh defends it as being i mean he says when it first mentions he's when it's first brought up i think one of his siblings sort of was it grossed a thing, out, maybe, maybe? I it was, think it was mentioned before then, where he says it's like actually, you mean it's super awesome?
1: Oh, his sister discovers the,
0: the right discovers the, 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 the yeah. pictures cause, so Sarah finds you know the dirty pictures from when, from some point in their long you know fifteen or twenty year relationship at this point and is grossed out by it and he says yeah except it was awesome I was fifteen it was so great which is sort of you know one of these. You know, the du- the double standard, but also actually the difference between being a boy at 15 and being a girl and having a relationship with an older person. But then I think as the sto- season goes on, it becomes clear to him, too, that maybe there's something way more fucked up that happened and that was way more scarring than he initially realized. And I think that the thing about the question about whether the parents knew is a really live one because he doesn't actually ask them he asks Rita, who is completely unreliable, and and says, of course they knew, which is sort of what she would say, but does sort of speak to this larger issue of all these secrets in the Pfefferman family. It's not impossible to imagine that they knew. Of course it's not. But it is also – it's possible they didn't know or they didn't let themselves know what they knew, which is, you know, obviously everybody in this family was running around not knowing what they knew all the time. So add it to the list. I did also just want to talk about um, – Sort of maybe the way that Rita has affected Josh's commitment issues. Because we see all you know from the beginning of the season that in some way he really ways he really wants to commit, right? He has this kind of he gets a woman pregnant, he proposes to her, suggests that they have a baby and go live in the woods and make music. And it's kind of, you know, you could imagine this is maybe sort of sweet, he's like manning up or something. But she responds to this like as if he's stalking her, which is not at all a misread, I think, of the situation.
2: No, ways. not at all. And it also just suggests that he's he's not really appreciating or thinking about the people that he's with in any meaningful way, right? That's just not what she wants at all. And the fact that he would even think so suggests that he hasn't really been paying, you know, substantive attention to her. He he just has it in his head. You know, he's probably – he's enjoyed sleeping with her. Now he likes the idea of them getting married and moving to the woods. That's just not what she wants at all and he should know that.
0: Totally. It did also – by the time he gets with the rabbi, you know, who is played by Catherine Hahn, Raquel, and who is – I hope we can all agree the most lovable, best person in the universe – I did have this real like feeling as I was watching that I wanted so much for him not to screw it up and for it to be real, even though I knew that there was something so stinky about that whole situation. And like he was his intensity towards her was so it's not even that it was inauthentic. It was like he was trying to convince himself and there was something sort of fake about it. And I I, I had that feeling where I was like. Just be wrong, Willa. Like, I hope this is the time he got it together. Maybe he just got it together overnight and they're going to be great.
1: Well, so I'm so into this relationship that I, like, (laughs) refuse to believe that it's ended because it's his sister. He doesn't screw it up per se. It's his sister who says – talks about his truthfully, in a way. Truthfully, but – um maliciously kind of talks about his past, right she says her, he's
0: he's not he you know he's he's fallen in love, he's up within a lot of women, he's sort of like a love addict,
1: right, so I like have this real hope because I love Katherine Hahn and because I want to see more of her in the show that like... This is not the end of this relationship. But I,
2: I have that hope too. I think yes. I think that it could continue. And when I say that I came to hate the Gabby Hoffman character at the end, that was largely because of what she <laughs> <laughs> to that relationship, which which seems so cruel and wanton.
0: But I think the just to counter a little bit, I think the reason that Raquel reacted so strongly to that is that she recognized something that was true there. Like if you're if the guy you were in love with, his little sister started saying something nasty about him, you might. A regular person in a normal situation would either not be that upset or talk to him about it later and not rush out of a funeral in tears. Like, she understands it as a real insight. And that's because I think of her experience with him, which is, you know— He's kind of flaky with her. He invites a 17-year-old girl to the house, which, by the way, there's no reason for any of us to think that some, something untoward isn't going to happen there. That's not...
1: Especially because she's a musician. Right. It's totally
0: in Josh's capabilities. And she kind of... Raquel sort of lets it go because he's so cute and charming and they have great sex. And, and, and he's so intense with her and seems so connected.
2: But she's fairly intense back. Yeah. One of the, I mean, one of the things I liked about the character is that while she is the best person in this universe, <laughs> she's not perfect. Right. And one of the things about her that we see is she's she is given to these overreactions. I mean, she is reacting to something in him for sure, but she also f- kind of freaks out in certain moments over not very much or rushes to judgment when she first sees, the, you know, the young woman in his apartment. Granted, that's a, a reasonable supposition, but she doesn't even hear him out. And even as he starts to explain what's going on, she just she's just not listening And I think that seems to be a personality trait. And again, at the end, it's the most severe reaction, and it's not an unreasonable one. But I think given what we've already seen, we can imagine that she might come around.
1: Right. I just need to take a moment to, because we're talking about Catherine Hahn, to talk about her role as a rabbi in the show, because I think (laughs) it's so spectacularly well done, and if, like... Women knew that they could grow up to be Catherine Hahn as a rabbi. More <laughs> women would be going to rabbinical school. Um, she, I think that they just did such a good job of weaving her story into the characters, like making her come visit the, the, their mother, Shelley, and then kind of weaving her in with the whole, like, the Friday night service and then having her come do the funeral at the end. They just did such a great job of, like, making her character necessary. And then, like, for some reason, their first date takes place in a mikvah, which is, like, the mostly absurd, like, place that women kind of hate in many ways. And then they just make this into this like really romantic Why don't scene. you tell us
0: what a mikvah is?
1: So a mikvah, for the most part, is like when a woman is menstruating, she's not supposed to have relations with men. And then after she's done, she goes to the mikvah to purify herself. And then afterward, she can have these relations with men. And like, it's kind of like this thing that has a lot of tension attached to it. And it's a transformative place also. Men can go if they feel like they're Want to have like this renewal experience or anything like that, but it's this like really powerful scene that takes place in a mikvah, which is like nothing I've ever seen before, especially in like a mainstream show. <laughs> nothing in
0: American popular culture has it ever just taken just, place and in a mikvah. Like has
1: all all this meaning, and it's like a really beautiful scene in this decrepit mikvah. And
0: well, maybe we should take a little side route here because I know you want to talk about this rave, <laughs> and just talk about how Jewish the Pfeffermans are. Did you? So 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 not to out. So Miriam and I are both Jewish. David, you are not. Did you find them to be overwhelmingly Jewish?
2: I wouldn't say overwhelmingly. (laughs) I will say, and you pointed this out in your review, Willa, that the, the Judith Light character, Shelley, who is the mom... It does veer towards caricature more than any of the others. I mean, and she's playing, as you also mentioned, a very recognizably Jewish caricature, the sort of, you know, overbearing mom who's always concerned about food and, you know, wants her son to marry the rabbi, you know, what have you. She, I mean, I think she's a terrific actress, so I hope that, assuming this show goes on, that we get a little bit more of her and, and she becomes a bit more complex.
0: Yeah, I, I, you know, the thing about her is that I also think she's the least well-drawn of the characters. But she does have this moment towards the end, um, you know, which is that her, her husband, Ed, has dementia and he is failing. His health has been failing. But we haven't really seen exactly how he's failing. We see that he can't talk and that he's sort of happy and gets lost. But we kind of don't. Um, we don't know the details. And and she has this sort of confrontation with her children and with Mora, who's sort of playing the part in that, you know, if not quite of her husband, then certainly of her partner, where she screams at her children about them not actually being there. You know, Josh says, I call all the time. And she says, I don't want you to call. I want you to show up. And the only person who actually shows up is him. And then Mara says, her. And they have this mini fight in the middle of this fight about pronouns. Um, and I thought that scene was really powerful and also sort of spoke to the children's selfishness in a in, an, in a whole other way, which is there's a whole other perspective, their are mothers that we basically don't have because she, of all of the characters, you know, we don't actually see the world from her point of view. She's kind of, even though she's in the family, she sort of is almost a joke to all of them as well. Um, and so I hope that it would expand. I will say that her stuff about the mustard, and then also at the funeral, all the Jews eating lox. You know, this is obviously a very loving portrait of a Jewish family. But as a Jew, you always are like, this is bad for the Jews. And I'm not saying we're nice about how we eat our bagels and lox, but, you know, every time I see close-ups on people's mouths— doing disgusting things with food and they're supposed to be Jewish. I'm just like, come on. Hell.
1: So I want to jump back to the Jewish stuff, obviously, but I do want to defend Judith Light's character a little bit because we talked earlier about how, like, extreme all the characters are um, with their transformations. And I thought it was really important to have this one character who is obviously going through stuff because people are always going through stuff. But she was kind of like the staple and, like, straight woman on the show who, like, you could take a moment to be like, oh my God, these characters are going through so much. And they're a little bit like, not crazy, but they just have, they're very self-involved and they're very not aware of anything. And she's the one character who's like, slow down. Like, this is not a normal thing to be doing. And I thought she did a wonderful job of portraying that character. And she, to make, if you had made her go, go through all of these transformations that everyone else was going through, the show would kind of like lose its anchor. But it's not the transformations that she had no like softness. Do you know what I mean? Like she's so sort of
0: herky-jerky and in every scene she can't pay attention to, you know, before that climax, she can't pay attention to anything. She's always getting up. She doesn't really want to listen to what anyone has to say. She wants to feed them. She wants to talk about other stuff. And, And it just felt... You know, it's not even that there aren't people like that. It's just compared to everybody else, she felt sort of like shut down and not thoughtful, kind of.
2: You know what I think the season could have used, and this is maybe going to sound like a retrograde thing to ask for, but if there had been one or two moments of real warmth between her and her children. Yes. Because whatever their the family dynamics are, and they're obviously incredibly complicated, You'd think that there might be one or two moments like that in the course of this stretch of time with their mother, and that might have have softened her in that way, and, and especially just rounded her out as a character.
0: Especially given they have those moments with their father. Right. I mean, there's a couple moments of physical affection, you know, um, where Shelly and like you know she she Allie like sits on her and sort of pats her leg. Like you can see that they're not like physically uncomfortable with each other. But yeah, there is no real. There's really no, like, warmth and love.
2: Right. Just that moment of a son or a daughter going to his yeah. or her mom and, and in a moment of need.
0: And I do wonder if that's a choice because it, they did get that from their father. And, and I didn't know if that was just because we didn't get those
1: moments with Shelley
0: or if actually the whole point was that is who they went to for those things their whole lives. And that was a part of who their father was. That's the sense
1: that I got. I got the sense that she was like the one who was kind of the gave the harsh no, that oh. that Mora was the nurturer and and then Shelley was the one who's like harsh realities.
0: Wait, so you're going to tell me about why you hated Allie at the end?
2: Well, you know, as I mentioned, the way she just impossibly destroys her brother's you know one good relationship—that's certainly part of it. I think the the way that she's handled most of the people around her. Right, there's her friend Sid, who's played by Carrie Brownstein and she she treats her very badly she's just obviously very self involved as they all are and unlike her brother say uh who seems to to reach this point where he is trying to mature maybe he's fooling himself or or maybe he's just sort of willing himself into this you know new stage in his life and and she's still flailing in a way that's really frustrating you know she she decides to go back to school and she goes to this gender studies class and she just sits with Sid in the back and laughs at the professor who is eminently mockable, but nonetheless i mean what what is she doing with herself if she's if she's going to make this big – and why is she suddenly studying gender studies? It's not clear that you know she wants to become a professor; she just is a very frustrating character, and by the end she's behaving really cruelly, I think, and really not doing much for anyone
1: what was frustrating for me was that the show like knows that she's frustrating and it wasn't that they were trying to find a place for her they per it seems like Jill Salway is purposely making her this character who is so confused and like flailing and i feel in other shows that happens because they're not sure what to do with the character but this is like this is a purposeful decision to make her this character where you're like i don't know what you're doing why are you all of a sudden doing this this doesn't make any sense to me i have i have to say i have, I have a different reaction
0: to her i, I you know She obviously is lost, right, and um, is spoiled and has never had to figure out what she has to do with her life because she apparently doesn't need any money and has nothing resembling a job or anything like that. But I thought she was really much more searching than Sarah and Josh in a more authentic, like, they both sort of decided what they needed to do to sort of cope with what was ever going on. You know, Josh is like, I'm going to settle down. I'm going to settle down with this girl I got knocked up. If that's not going to work, I'm going to settle down with the rabbi. Like, I have turned into – I'm not someone I like very much, and I'm going to change that. And Sarah is not happy with her life. She meets her ex-girlfriend. She's going to blow up her life and create another new family, even though that's going to have as many flaws as her last one, and that's what she's going to do. And there's something about – alley that is is totally a mess but is just much more open and confused in a sort of to me kind of authentic way to what their experience is and what I think you know what you see happen through the course of the show and is that she is what's happening with her father actually like changes something about her curiosity about the world. She becomes, you know, in not some, you know, it's sort of cliched, but also it's sort of not. She becomes newly attuned to these questions of gender, which I think we're supposed to understand are sort of perhaps a little more close to her personally than they are to either of her siblings. I mean, her father sort of suggests she has some gender confusion. I don't, you know, and she is dressing wildly differently over the course of the show. I mean, she's basically sort of in male drag in the last whole last episode. You know, she's dressed in a suit for this funeral, and she's got this very boyish haircut. And that this stuff is all, you know, roiling within her. And I think also just Ed, for example, is like she is the sibling who not wrongly reacts to Ed's dementia with real compassion. I mean, there's this totally cutthroat euthanasia conversation that is obviated because Ed drowns in a... Pond all by himself after wandering out of the house. But, you know, we don't have from what we've seen of Ed, not just from what Shelley tells us, you know, he does it. Does he need to die? Is he in pain? I mean, it's, it's totally unclear. And and all of the questions that Allie raises are totally right on. And they dismiss her because she's a flake and she's a mess and she's the baby and she never does anything. She never helps. And I just I think and I even think some of the stuff with Sid, it's like she didn't react. To, she was jealous that he slept with her, that her best friend slept with her brother. And maybe it's because she has feelings for her. That's a complicated situation. You get to act like a jerk. Your brother's kind of a jerk. You just slept with your best friend and actually he is a serial monogamous who falls in love with girls. And here's this lovely rabbi who is way over smitten. It's day three. And like, should you say something mean about your brother? Maybe not. But it's not dishonest. I, I just felt more empathy for her.
1: No, I think the Ed, the Ed plot point was a like very compassionate portrayal of what she's going through and a way to kind of make viewers understand her a bit more. But when you talk about her searching, I just I can't relate to that in any way because it just seems so all over the place. Like it's not like she's searching for what she wants to do with her life. She's searching for who she wants to be with in her life. She's searching for what's going on in her life. She's searching for everything. Like there is no part of her life that feels in any way constant, which is doesn't turn her into a, into a caricature. It just turns her into this character that is just so confusing and, like, just so difficult to follow and feel compassion for and feel happiness for and sadness for because you're like, I don't know what you're doing. Like, I don't know who this person is that you're pursuing now. I don't know why you want to take a gender studies class. I don't know what you – I mean, they kind of – the Jeffrey Tambor character – sorry, Mora tells her at some point, like, I keep on paying for all these classes you're taking, but we don't see these other classes she's taking. We don't know what else she's tried in the past, but it just seems like she's tried these very diverse things that have nothing to do with anything and it just it made her but you know there's that brutal brutal scene where she's where her sib they're all like in a jungle gym
0: and josh and sarah just start to be like oh are you taking class again and they just start like they throw things at her and it's just such older sibling like hazing not that it's wrong but you know she just sits there and there's nothing she can say she knows there's nothing she can say and she's she's so miserable and so unhappy and it's not that she doesn't deserve it but I felt for her, well,
2: and I think it's possible we're we're meant to take her intellectual side a little bit more seriously than it came across. Yeah, at least to me, because there are comments from more about how smart she is. She's always the smart one. You know, there's that scene with the classes and her going back to school. I think maybe we are supposed to uh, to respect those ambitions somewhat. It didn't quite come across to me. It seemed more like flailing. But I but I do think that you know. She does have this serious intellectual side that maybe she does want to pursue.
0: What did you guys make of the um, the sequence with the male-to-female trans- transgender character? She's dates. You know, she walks into this man's house. She thinks it's like a Butch Fantasia with, like, Paps blue ribbon, like, lights on the wall. You know, the whole thing is, like, complete—like, he he dominates her. He tells her what to do. He shaves her pubic hair. And then at the end of the episode, she walks back into his house, and it looks completely different. It looks normal. And and she's weirded out by that, but I wondered what you made of that.
2: Well, there are a couple of moments with her where the, where the show veers into something like surrealism, and that, that's the key one. The other is there's the scene uh, w- which is, you know, structured at first like a flashback of her on the beach when she meets this older guy, and then suddenly we see her on the beach, and there's some suggestion that sh- that she's remembering this. But... It, that, particularly the, the scene in, in, the, um, in this sort of fling's house, suggests that she's going through maybe a more intense psychological experience than even her siblings are, that, that she's seeing things.
1: Well, I think it's important to note that in one of the first episodes, she also goes into like a drug-induced hallucination, not hallucination, but we kind of get the sense that she's not a light drug user. So I well they're all we could talk about that well sorry different forms of drugs they're all yeah um they're all using medical marijuana but it seems like she is more involved with her drugs um and is happy about this and that's kind of how she experiences life in some way we don't see her aside from that episode we kind of don't see this but that's that's how I interpreted those scenes but I do actually want to talk briefly about the flashbacks because. Um, I, it's used in many ways with the more Maura, with Mora's character to kind of give her backstory. In the beginning, I kind of was like very not into these flashbacks. I thought they were not well done uh, until the kind of episode that is just a flashback and goes to. I don't know if we want to wait and talk about Mora. No, we, we, end, but, but we can do it now. But it together. seems that that um, I also need to shout out to Bradley Whitford's. kind yes. of as, as the best the best friend who also at in this at this point is cross dressing um wonderfully surprisingly cast as this character. Um, but in this whole episode, it kind of um it's important to note that Ali's bat mitzvah is supposed to be that weekend. And this bat mitzvah is considered a transformative time, even if there's no physical obvious change. It's considered like this this um passageway to adulthood. And Ali kind of is having these qualms, so they just cancel her bat mitzvah, which helps Mora because Mora wants to go away this weekend to this cross-dressing camp retreat. And the whole, the whole episode kind of gives you this, this little insight into their life. And I kind of found Allie's character to be the most interesting at that point. Like, as an adult, I was very confused by her. But at this point, seeing her as a young child, being left alone... Her parents agreeing to cancel her bat mitzvah, which later on in the final episode, she's like, how did you guys do this to me? How did you let a 12-year-old decide to cancel her bat mitzvah? Um, She starts kind of when one of the caterers doesn't realize it was canceled, she comes to the house and talks to her and then she does this weird interpretive dance while like, reciting her Torah portion. Oh, you should tell us what the Torah
0: portion is actually So the about. Torah
1: portion, um, which also happens to be my sister's Torah portion, so when she started doing it, I was like, oh, my God, I know this Torah portion, like, by heart. I could also read it, so I could not do that interpretive dance. Um, but it's, um, it's the story of when God tells Abraham, like, you have to leave, and you are going to be my nation, and I'm going to make you a great nation— And she's saying all these words as she's kind of like dancing on a table. And to me, it was like super moving and powerful. But um, I just found all of these characters more interesting knowing that part. But the use of flashback as a whole throughout the episode, I kind of didn't like. I liked how it was contained in one episode.
0: Well, I thought I thought that. There was something maybe a little chintzy looking about them. They didn't look as good as maybe the rest of the show. So I think that that was sort of like they stood out as kind of like some very TV element in the rest of the show. But I thought it was important on a number of ways. I thought it was important to sort of know Mort's progression and and kind of how it was playing out in his day-to-day life in their childhood. And then I think, you know, to me, actually, the show kind of, it's not even pivots, but climaxes around this question of the, bar, the bat mitzvah. and And to me, the... The show, which I loved already, like it, it got to another level with this fight in the last episode about what was happening that weekend when essentially I think Mort behaved extremely selfishly. I mean, we know... Ali tells the caterer that she only canceled it, not because she doesn't believe in God, as she told her dad at the time, but because she was scared she wasn't going to memorize her off Torah portion, which is totally regular 12-year-old stuff and why you don't listen to 12-year-olds and you make them do it. And her parents, and particularly Mort, took, like, took the sliver of an excuse and used it because he wanted to go to Camp Camellia and have this transcendent, freeing experience as, as himself, as, as herself, you know? And and I think that the whole show, and I think this is going to lead us into talking about Maura, has sort of shown Maura as being this extremely sympathetic, this extremely soothing, this extremely, um, you know, kind of like caring and calming presence who for all of this, all of these craziness going on with her children and, and this huge life change of her own is sort of not... Um, is not as unbalanced as them, and shows her to be completely, you know, as bankrupt and flawed and screwed up as all of them, which is that she, her priority was herself in this, not always, but in this moment, and it had consequences, and obviously it had consequences over and over and over again. And when she complains about her children being, how did I raise three such selfish children? How did I raise people who don't see beyond themselves? It's because, of course, she is exactly like them.
2: Right, and that scene at the end where he has outburst. Uh, and and yells at his kids again, and and um, says, you know, I've 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 paid for you. He's particularly yelling at Allie. Uh, it was really jarring. Yeah,
0: don't be so me. self-involved.
2: Yeah, and because it because it was really the first moment of intense anger, I think that we had seen from her in a while, and she had seemed so at peace, having finally, um, you know begun to accept who she is and to share that with, with, you know, everyone around her, but that's a part of her too. And in a way it seems like the show kind of gave her a little bit of a pass for a while um, because perhaps what she was going through, uh, because also perhaps of what all of uh, the kids were going through and, and so on. But then at the end you, you remember, or at least I did. Oh, right. You know, she's capable of this, as well and actually can be terrible to be around and can be mean and and you know, often is selfish.
0: And I think it also it puts this whole other gloss on the things that have happened sort of before, which is, you know, this is a this is a very um, trans positive show. It's not it doesn't question the authenticity of her Um, of Maura's, like, desires of her needs, of of the truth of who she is. Um, But I think in this last moment, it does suggest, like, this is really complicated, actually. (laughs) And it's not just complicated in this one moment or this month where she is coming out to her children. It's complicated, and it's been complicated this whole time. And this is a family, you know, that is riven by secrets. Like, right before this fight, um, Sarah... And her ex-husband had this – or not ex-husband, her separated husband had this encounter in in sort of a – in a laundry room where, they're, you know, she's almost going to go down on him. He, of course, like pulls her up. He's like, I love you. And then shoves her head back down, then pulls her up and is like, you know what, though? Like, I don't want to be a secret. This is this is how your family does everything. And that's fucked up. And this isn't going to be another one of them. And you just re- realize, like, the secrecy in this house is like – is crazy. All the stuff that Maura has done and sort of subtly throughout." the season where she's constantly telling her children to keep secrets from each other for no reason, lying about what she's going to do with the house or just creating these these secrets that where they don't need to be. And and actually, this is really, you know, her children are her, a product of her and, and of Shelley. You know, they're, they're a product of their parents. And some of the stuff that they and the things that they are are totally theirs, but also totally because this is a really complicated house to have grown up in. So also there's there's also this whole time that there's all this stuff is going on with the siblings. There is, you know, Maura's life separate from them where she's sort of um, where she's being trans in the world at large. And there's some great moments, I think, where um, she handles strangers and people she knows from her past in sort of different um, ways. Do you want to talk to that about a little?
2: Yeah, well, I, I thought that the show handled that very well uh, in that you saw a range of reactions to her and a range of her own reactions uh that were you know at times graceful at times angry etc so for instance one of them is uh, you know some old colleague of his or something comes up to to um to her and and two friends while they're at a bar and hits on one of them and then recognizes that one of these women is used to be a man that he knew and you know, it's an awkward moment. Obviously, uh, Mora handles it as 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 best one can, really. And also, the the this man, you know, he he doesn't behave like a cartoon. You know, he's he's clearly thrown, and he clearly doesn't get it. And he does laugh, I think. But it but it doesn't didn't seem to me like the kind of heavy handed after school special. Look at the terrible hurt person. Behave terribly, Even though you could describe it that way. Likewise, there's a scene in a bathroom at a mall where Mora went into the women's room with uh, her two daughters. And, you know, uh, Sarah is, keeps referring to her as dad. And so one of the women in the bathroom who's there with her daughters freaks out. And it's, it's awful, but it's completely believable. And, it, 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 and it's not um, – you know, she's not sort of outlandishly, I thought, outlandishly mean or bigoted or discriminatory. But she's, she just is all of those things.
1: Because you jumped on the – or Sarah referring to her as dad, I just wanted to shout out to MAPPA, which I thought was <laughs> slightly brilliant but also insane, which like felt like a lot of the show, where you were kind of – I was like drawn to this title of MAPPA, which was maybe offensive, maybe not offensive. I couldn't tell. But I just, like, every time they refer to Mora as Mapa, it's was like, oh, this is actually kind of endearing. And um, just it kind of worked in a different way for me. But I wanted to also talk about the fact that, for us at least, Mora is going through this um, this transition to coming out as Mora at a very old age. And for me, that made it all the more interesting because she had formed this character. Of, this character she had formed her identity as Mort to the public for so long and was... I mean, had struggled to do it, but was able to do it. So to make this transition at the age that she's doing it was interesting. There was that scene um, at the place she's at her new apartment where she's kind of banging on the wall because these younger people are having a party. And she's an old woman, basically. And she's discovering how to be a woman, like, as an old woman. And it was just something that I had never thought of in this way. And I thought that was portrayed really compellingly.
2: Well, and the show, crucially, though, it cast this cisgender man in the lead role did have trans actors involved, and and um, Jill Soloway has has been careful to point out in in profiles and interviews that that they also hired trans crew and 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 really made an effort. And this and she's drawing partly on her own personal experience in the writing of the show. And so, given the many ways that it could have gone wrong, I just think yeah. that it that it really and it, and it wades into difficult territory. It's not you know it's it's not I don't think it's safe, right. but I also think that it is smart and thoughtful. I did think it's interesting, just since you guys um, brought up Bradley Whitford, that was the one moment I loved Bradley Whitford and I thought he did a perfectly good job, but I, but that was the one bit of casting that I thought <laughs> felt a little bit like, oh, look at this act- actor that you know and love dressed up as a woman. Well,
1: but that was, that was why I liked it, because of that fight they have at the end where he isn't trans. He just right, likes cr- to cross-dress. Yeah. And it was like a distinction that they were drawing where Morrow realizes that she really – and that, I mean, when she's dancing, she, like, really feels and knows that she's a woman, whereas the Bradley Whitford character um, doesn't feel that way. And that was a great way to distinguish between what Mora is doing and what he is doing, which are very different things. And it was important that he not be cartoonish, but that his outfits were kind of a little bit different and felt a little bit more, like, flashy. And because the point – the reason he was dressing that way wasn't the same reason that Mora was dressing that way, which is – I guess, part of the reason that I totally bought the Bradley, Bradley Whitford as that character.
0: I do, this is only related to the thing that you guys were saying a little before, which is just this question about fatherhood a little bit, which is, and the MAPA stuff, which is that I thought one of the most interesting things about the show was that, and and you know Sarah calling um, her dad in the bathroom, is that Mora is their father. Like, she's not their mother, and that isn't what she is, and there's no, she can be whoever she wants, she can be a woman she could have been a woman their whole life and she's still their father. And that's that's like what they call her and that is actually what she is. And that's this this other you know, we this is a show about identity, right? We all have all of these identities and Maura has an identity her children didn't know about. But she does also have this other immutable identity, and it is, you know, as not just their parent, but as their dad. And and that can't really change No matter what else changes about her um, and and their perception of her, you know, and that's and that's that whole last scene, you know, where it's like I'm cutting you off and and Ali's throwing the money at her, which is such a dad. It's so the dad role in some family, you know, it's like it's like these things as much as we can change these things. There's also this way that things we can't change are sometimes just our relationships with people. So that's it from us. Thanks so much. I'm Willa Paskin. Um, Thanks to David Hagland and Miriam Krull for joining me. Our producer is Chris Wade. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Andy Bowers, and we'll talk to you guys soon. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane,
1: so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say.